Thank you, Pastor Andy. Yesterday, Pastor Andy and I were at Wayne Hills. They had an all-day conference uh, called the Imago Day Conference. That is Latin for the image of God um, because um, all the things that are going on in our society uh, over transgenderism, the schools, and all these things that we've uh, uh, been uh, involved in, plus uh, the racial tensions in our country, all come out of a rebellion against Genesis 1, 2, and 3 in the image of God in man. And uh, so uh, Pastor Jamie put together this conference in six weeks, which was amazing to me. Um, and uh, uh, our executive director of our state convention spoke. I spoke in the morning. But our band was there all day, and it went from 9.30 till 8 last night. Um, so uh, that was a long time. Then they were here at first service. So uh, they deserve your thanks when you see them, and uh, uh, their good hard work. Um, and I appreciate that, and uh, that actually uh, some of what I said yesterday may come in today. Um, I received a notice today that comes from an uh, uh, Afghani person that is now living in another country, um, and a person that is a good friend of theirs sent this prayer list to them. And they have seven things here, and if I were to read them all, uh, it might take a little bit too long. But uh, you understand the urgency of the problem. Um, let me just sum up a couple of them. There are no church buildings in Afghanistan, so believers are cut off and isolated uh, from the underground church, and they don't know who they can trust. So the secret church is trying to grow, but uh, obviously they're in, in trouble. Um, Every believer there is very vulnerable, and they're being kidnapped and, and killed, and families and relatives that are Muslim want them to come back to be a Muslim um, are selling them out, and so it's a lot of trouble. Um, the women there obviously have uh, very little rights. Um, they're neglected, abused, and mistreated. Um, but also that country is the biggest export of drugs in the world. Uh, so uh, we can pray against that. But a lot, here's the good news, a lot of Afghans are coming to Christ through the media that they can pick up free over the airwaves, but also uh, Christian radio stations, satellite TV, and then the gospel being shown on Zoom. So pray for that. But in the midst of this crisis, an average 11 believers a day in Afghanistan were losing their life already for their faith. So pray for the families of these martyrs. And right now it is, you, you see the news as well as I, and uh, I want to just pause and pray because our brothers and sisters in Christ are being murdered and martyred. Uh, I know uh, firsthand accounts of uh, mission organizations. Their missionaries are stranded there. In some cases, um, they haven't heard from the missionaries that those organizations have there. So they don't know what's going on. Um, Christians cannot get from their home to the airport, even an American citizen. I saw that in the news this morning because um, they're afraid that they'd be killed just for being an American trying to get to the airport, even though, uh, of course, they've been promised safe passage. But, uh, you know, I got a bridge in Brooklyn for you if you want to believe that one. So we need to pray for our brothers and sisters there. So would you bow with me? I want to just open our time. And, and we've prayed a lot. And I want to pray more. We never pray too much. Talk too much, don't pray too much. Let's, let's pray for that. And if, if you don't mind, I'll also pray for... Uh, the ongoing part of this service. Father, uh, we, we bow in your presence. Lord, our brothers and sisters are being killed. We're reminded that at the end of, and end of all things, Lord, we read in Revelation, as people are being martyred wholesale in the tribulation for believing in you, that they cry out from under the altar and say, how long, O Lord, before you bring vengeance on the earth for, for us? 
and you tell them there uh, this future time when you're going to tell them, be still, rest a while, it's coming. So Lord, we recognize that you're in charge. You know where these believers are. You know what's going on. And Lord, um, I pray that you give them with, uh, uh, strength, grace, boldness, uh, Lord, so that um, if they are martyred, uh, Lord, they go out praising you, and in the next moment, they see your face, where they will be at peace, and all things will be joy and blessing from then on. But God, we don't face that kind of stuff. We're, we're sitting here all comfortable. Some of us may have wrestled with ourselves whether they even show up today, where they are giving their lives for the opportunity to worship you. And so, God, I pray that we would not fail to ask you to be present with them. You don't need us to ask you that, but, Lord, we need to ask you that. We need you uh, to, to be aware that, that around the world our family is being killed by our enemy, the devil, and those he has fooled and, and destroyed their lives and brought them uh, so far away that they cannot even see the light of the gospel, you say in Corinthians. So, God, we pray that you would open their eyes that that uh, miraculously some of these, even these people in these uh, evil organizations will uh, awake to the gospel and even in that moment uh, stop and turn to Christ. Lord, stop their hands, stay their hands. Protect your people. Um, Lord, we don't think death is the worst thing that can happen to us, but Lord, we know that uh, here on this side that this is, uh, this is a horrible thing and, and that God, uh, it should not be so. And so, Lord, we, we pray that you would have your will done in that nation, but in many nations around the world, Lord. But right now, this is such an emergency. We're asking you for your grace and mercy and that you would protect your people. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I, th I think that situation is very important, and obviously I do that. You can be opening your Bibles to Genesis 19, uh, because it's not going to get any lighter. Today, uh, I was supposed to preach this last week, but Brother Trey was with us, and because of his health concerns, I wasn't sure whether he could speak. And uh, at, the, at the last minute, he said, if you want me to do it, I'll do it. So I said, yeah, I want you to do it. So I went ahead and abused him, and he was able to share twice. That takes a lot out of somebody uh, to do that. But he shared with us last week. I really appreciate that. I think it meant a lot to many of you. And, uh, but, uh, so this sermon is about Sodom and Gomorrah. It's coming out of chapter 19. Um, obviously adult content here, but I will be uh, careful and, uh, and, and we'll be all right. But uh, I call this sermon Lots of Trouble because Lot is in trouble and he is in lots of trouble, right? Uh, I asked uh, for some suggestions from others and I got a better suggestion and then I misthought it and put that down. But it's there, so that's good enough, right? Uh, it's only important in this one second right here, what I call the sermon. But, it's, it, but it is. It's Lot. He's trapped there in Sodom and Gomorrah. God's about to judge it. You know what's going to happen. This is one of the most heartbreaking chapters in the Bible as we look at, at uh, what happens to people who turn away from God. And the Bible tells us in Ephesians, you think it's just the Old Testament thing. The Bible says in Ephesians, the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness. Now, we live in grace as Christians. We live as uh, believers, and all the wrath of God that would have been poured out on us was poured out on Christ. He took that for us, and he takes that for any person who will turn to him and come to him as Lord and Savior of their life. And so I pray that if you find yourself uh, apart from God, that you would let Jesus take God's wrath upon himself for you. Uh, for that's why he came and died on the cross. But here's something I want you to, to take home with you today. And that is when we allow sin in our life, 
We always lose more than we gain. And we're going to see that through Lot. Lot is a cautionary tale. We, we learn from him by example that, it, that it, he was a bad example. Excuse me. The Bible says God said he was a righteous man. And that's God's opinion of him. But his life does not lend itself to where you or I'd look at him and go, yeah, that's a righteous man. Now, he wasn't participating with the sin in Sodom, but he was living amongst it and tolerating it uh, in a sense. And so, I want you to understand and locate where we are, because like I said, I skipped last week, so I was, it's not as fresh in your mind, but just the chapter before, uh, Jesus, in an Old Testament appearance, shows up at Abraham's doorstep at a place called the Oaks of Mamre. It was a grove of trees in a, in a certain place where Abraham had set up his tents, and that's where he was living. And Jesus and two angels, as is revealed through the story, we learned that's who they are, uh, are, st- are, are there with Abraham. And Abraham serves them and, and feeds them. And then they all got up and acted like they were walking, well, they were walking towards Sodom and Gomorrah. And Jesus pauses. The Bible says, he said to himself, should we hide from Abraham what we are about to do? So it's Jesus, not talking about these angels, but talking about the Trinity, God, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, their judgment coming out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, the two angels kept walking, but Abraham stands there and has a conversation with Jesus Christ, again, in an Old Testament appearance. And, and we count that as a prayer. When you talk to God, that's what we call prayer, right? And if you think you got to pray like some, you know, highfalutin pastor in some highfalutin church using a lot of big words, you're wrong. You can talk to God like you talk to anybody, all right? He knows your language. Even if you don't know his, he knows yours. And you say, well, I'm not sure I can tell God exactly what I want to tell. Why? You think he's going to be offended? The Bible says he knows the thoughts of your heart and your mind. There's nothing hidden from him anyway. So don't, don't play around with it. Just talk to God. Tell him what you need because then you are aware of how he's answering. Well, Abraham starts revealing his heart to, to uh, God standing there, the second person of the Trinity, as he's telling him what's about to happen. And Abraham starts begging, if there's 50 people that are righteous there, would you not destroy it? And he keeps coming down until he gets to 10, if there's 10 righteous people. And, and Jesus promises him, God promises him, if there's 10 people, I won't destroy the city. And so that's the end of the prayer. Well, there was only one, as it turns out. Even the people in Lot's family, as, we, as this story unfolds, and we won't see all of it today, but even as this story unfolds, Lot's the last guy trying to do what's, what's right, it seems. And, and yet, even Lot is doing it reluctantly. But I want to take even further back to chapter 18. A few chapters before that, we find Abraham and Lot, they are, they are traveling through the land. And they have, both of them are becoming rich. They have so many uh, resources in sheep that there's not enough grazing lands, not enough pasture land for all of their sheep to eat and have enough. So the herdsmen, you know, here are these two men, and Lot is Abraham's nephew. They have all these men working for them, and the men working for them start to fight. No, we were here first. No, we were here first. And they're, they're getting into arguments. So Abraham and Lot say, look, man, we don't want to have an argument between our families and between our people. So Abraham says, here's what you do, Lot. You pick, you pick a place. You just look around. All this is before us. God said we could have any of it anyway. You pick the place. Wherever you go, I'll go the other direction. I'm surmising here, so you can go back and read it in detail. So Lot looks. Looks one way, goes, eh, it's all right. Looks the other way, goes, man, that looks good. 
Well, the thing that looked good was around Sodom and Gomorrah. That was very green, very lush, very uh, nice. And so Lot says, I'll go that way. And Abraham said, God bless you. And he goes his way. Here's what I want you to get out of that. Abraham, the chapter before that, had not trusted God, and he's learning how to trust God. So when he says to Lot, you pick, he's going to take what's left over, and he's willing to find the will of God by not caring what it is. That's a great place to get as a believer in Christ. That you come to the place where however God wants to do it in your life is okay with you. Because you may have some rough spots in life. And if you can see that as coming from the loving hand of God, even though it hurts, even though it's tough to go through, you will know that God has a purpose, a reason behind it, to, and you will be able to praise him in the midst of pain. Well, Abraham got that point, and he's willing to let go. Not that he's perfect. Of course he's not. But he does that, and Lot is making a selfish decision. That's what I really want you to see. You see, Lot is living in a city that has a predominant sin that... Lot is not participating in, but Lot's motivation to get there is one of selfishness. One of not self-sacrifice, one of not trusting God, but rather one of picking the best for himself. And I, I don't know about you, but where I grew up, that, that's rude. <laughs> if you're given the choice, oh, here, you can have. No, no, no. And you always take the less good because you don't want to take the best. You know, man, that guy, we offered him and he just took it all. You know, that's that in the Southern culture, that's, that's not what you do. You're very, no, 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 no. They insist. They give you the best, right? That's how it's supposed to work. It's supposed to do a little dance, right? Y'all with me? Okay, good. I heard at least one amen. I can go on then. All right. So I, I want to read these first three verses here just to set it up. And this is where we learn the other two people in that trio that met with Abraham are angels. Now, the two angels came to Sodom. Pretty plain statement. You, you get that out of the context. There was three guys, two of them walking towards Sodom, and, and one stays behind. And the fact that what he said and that he could answer Abraham's prayer uh, points to the fact that it was God. And every time God has seen the Old Testament, it's Jesus. And so in verse 1, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we'll spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. I want you to catch this. These two angels arrive at the city. Lot is sitting in the gate. Now, what does that mean? You've got to put that in context because we don't do that anymore. There's not a gate to stand. If, it would, if there is, it's probably, you know, the watering can down there under the bridge, right? Okay, thank you. I, I, everybody's from San Diego. Yeah, of course, that's it. So, in their day, the gate of the city where everybody came in, that's where the elders sat. That's where the rulers of the city sat. It'd be their town hall. It'd be their, their city building. They would sit there so they could judge people. They could, uh, you know, settle disputes, whatever. Lot is sitting in the gate. Now, there's one of two things that it could have been, because the Bible doesn't tell us exactly why he's sitting there. But I, I want to go back to what we've already seen of his character and nature is he wants the best for himself. So he didn't go to Sodom and go, well, I'll just hang out here and feed my sheep. And man, those people are bad, but I'll just mind my own business. He's getting in their business. He's getting in there maybe because he wants to be seen as a ruler, as a leader, as an elder. 
Now, he may have become that. We don't know. But later in the story, and we'll see it in detail in a second, but the men of the city turn against him and say, who do you think you are? You're just a visitor. Now, it could be that they had accepted him, but now because he's denying them what they want, they turn against him because that happens. Or it could be that Lot is a legend in his own mind, and they're tolerating him. They're just letting him sit there because <laughs> this poor idiot, he thinks he's somebody, but he's not. You see, that's why Jesus said, don't make yourself the most important at the party. You go sit in the back, and then when the guys run the party, he goes, man, what are you doing back there? Come on up, sit by me. But if you run up there and sit by him, and he goes, what are you doing? This isn't for you. Go to the back. Now you're embarrassed, right? I mean, Jesus is giving you some practical social advice there, all right? You might ought to pick up on that. Well, Lot may have been doing that. He might have said, well, I'll just go sit in the city. Maybe they'll accept me. So he's sitting there at the gate, you know, like, hey, you know, I think you ought to do that with that. And they're like, who are you? But okay, you know, and they're just going on. We don't know which way that works. But the fact is he is sitting there as an important man in the city of Sodom. Now, we get that just from the cultural knowledge or the knowledge of our, that we have of their culture. The Bible doesn't make a clear point. Other, sometimes the Bible just tells you stuff and expects you to figure it out. So that's me trying to figure that out, okay? The angels get there and Lot is sitting in the gate which means he wants to be a part of that city at the very least. He wants to be seen as a leader in that city. And so when he sees them, he runs out and says, oh, hey, guys, good to see you. Come home with me because Lot knows the nature of that city and he doesn't want these men to be hurt. I don't think he recognizes them as angels. He may have, but he wants to bring them into his home and I believe to try to protect them because God said Lot was a righteous man. But they say, nah, we'll just stay in the town square. Now, Lot, this is why I don't think Lot knew they were angels, because he doesn't understand what angels can do, obviously. Again, you'll see that later in the story. These are some bad mamajamas, that's all I'm telling you. They would have been perfectly safe in the town square. Might have been a cool thing to see, but whatever. They let Lot convince them to go to his house. So they go there to his house. So now the scene is set. That's the arrival of these angels. But then it leads to a disruption. In verse 4, it picks that up. But before they lay down, before it was time to go to sleep, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, and all the people to the last man surrounded the house, called to Lot, said, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out that we may know them. They want to hurt them. They want to abuse them. I don't have to go into detail. The adults know what I'm talking about. I want you to, I, 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 when I don't want you to catch something, I read over it quickly and I try not to put any inflection in it so that's how you know when I'm trying to fool you. The men of the city of Sodom, both young and old, and all the people, and in case you don't know what all means, because all means all and that's all all means, to the last man showed up. I've heard people say, if God doesn't judge America, he's got to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Every man in that place, to the last man, was involved in that sin. It is not even the percentages people tell us. In that whole community, there's a lot of... It, by the way, it'll be something else tomorrow. It'll tend to get worse because it's all a rebellion against Genesis 1, 2, and 3. That God made man and male and female. He made them and a man shall leave his wife, his, his mother and, cle and father and cleave to his wife and the two shall be one. That's God's plan. Anything outside of that is sin. 
Period. So when you rebel against that, you, it's wide open. There are children that are confused by this. Now, for that, I blame parents that allow them to even know that's going on, but other things can happen. And there are parents going along with it. What I'm trying to tell you is, there's not that many in America as there was there. So don't think we got it so bad, even though it is bad. I'm not trying to soft-pedal us. What I'm trying to tell you is this whole place is gone into the sin. It is extremely bad. This is why Lot jumps on and goes, why don't you come home with me? Because y'all don't look like they look. Maybe you don't want what's about to happen to you. You won't come home with me. But they demand, every man there is demanding these men to abuse and then Lot offers the most horrible thing. I, I, I can't, I can't, I don't want to imagine it. And I couldn't imagine it if I tried. Lot goes out because in that culture, even then, ever, it's been there since then, it is still in the Middle East today. And it's this culture, if your enemy comes into your house, not seeking you harm, but for whatever reason, you allow him to come into your house. Now you have a responsibility to take care of them against everybody that would want to hurt them. So the lot has taken that on himself. If you know the story of the lone survivor, that's how he survived. They took some uh, Afghans, Muslim Afghanistan, uh, Afghanistan people, took him into their village, and they fought against the Taliban to protect him. All right? So this is what Lot is doing. And they called out the Lot in verse 5. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out that we may know them. And verse 6, Lot goes out and met the men at the entrance and shut the door behind him. He don't want them to rush him and get that door open. He wants to hide the men. I think the Bible doesn't say that for no reason. He shuts the door. He's trying to close off and protect these guys. Bring them out. Lot shuts the door and he said, look, I beg you, brothers, do not act so wickedly. And then he says, behold, I have two daughters and not known any men, any man. Let me bring them out to you and do as you please. Only do nothing to these men for they've come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. I cannot imagine this deal that Lot tries to make. Now, it has been suggested to me that Lot knew they wouldn't take him up on it because that's not what they're after. But what if they had? Don't ever offer your children, please, in a sacrifice to the devil. Don't ever do that. I, I, I can't believe he did it. But look at what the men say in verse 9. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came in to sojourn or visit with us. And he now he's become the judge. Now we'll deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. In other words, they shove him into the door and they're going to attack him and then they're going to break down the door. And as they do, <laughs> all of a sudden we figure out a little bit what angels can do. Verse 10, but the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house. Now the men, meaning the two men that were inside the house, they opened the door, jerked Lot in, shut the door, says, uh, it says they, and, uh, and they shut the door in verse 11, and they struck with blindness the men 
who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. This is the, this is the rescue moment. This is what little boys live for and they're watching adventure things and reading adventure books. Man, this is when the hero comes swinging in, where Tarzan comes swinging in on a vine and where the, where the, you know, the, the pirate swings over with his sword, where, where the cowboy shows up and he protects the town. These two angels open the door, jerk him in, shut the door, and boom, everybody goes blind outside that door. Now, I imagine this big light going, woof, and they go, ah, I can't see. I don't know. They might have just said, okay, y'all are blind, and none of them can see. I don't know. But here's what I want you to see. More than that, I love that part. That part I'd like to see on a movie. The rest, not so much. Verse 11, they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the gate, and now catch it both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. Let me tell you, when you're being ridden by the devil to sin, there's almost nothing that'll stop you if you've allowed yourself to be turned over to him. These men aren't OCD, they're CDO. That's OCD in alphabetical order. This is an obsession that will not be satisfied. They cannot see. They have been, everyone just been struck blind by two angels and they're still trying to find the door so they can get in there and do the thing they came to do. Yesterday we were talking about the image of God and how it's been marred by sin. And so many times, even as believers, we want to criticize other people and we want to talk about those sinners over there and and even in churches we we like to we like to complain about people that don't sin the way we sin right that's why jesus talked about planks and splinters right the the bible says in corinthians if our gospel is hid it's hidden to those who've been blinded by satan so that they cannot see the glorious light of the gospel of God in Christ. These people are held captive by Satan's will. They cannot, they don't have the strength to do anything else. That's why the Bible tells us as believers, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. We have the Holy Spirit, we have the third person of the Trinity taking up residence not only in our body but in our church so that when we take up the shield of faith. When we decide we're going to war, we can, squ- we can quench every fiery arrow of the, of the devil with the shield of faith, and we can go to war, and we can win that battle if we will step out in faith and believe that God meant what he said. But these men didn't have that. They didn't have anybody to fight for them. Their sin had gotten so great, God is going to destroy that city. And so now they're outside the door trying, I mean, this is like the walking dead, you know, trying to find the door. Can you imagine the terror that should be going on inside? But the story gets weirder. Look in verse 12. So the men said, Lot, you have anybody else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of this place because we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against this people has become great before the Lord. People have been praying about that place and God has heard about it. And of course, God already knew it. 
And the Lord, Yahweh, has sent us to destroy it. I mean, I want you to put yourself in that thing because I'm, I'm, I'm doing this in slow motion. Lot goes out there. He makes a horrible offer. The angels, I, I also see in my head, and I see things in my head a lot, okay? And y'all are just jealous because the voices don't talk to you. But anyway, they're inside and these guys are coming at Lot. Lot makes, I, I can just see those angels going, what is he doing out there? And they open the door and go, boom, blinded. Lot, do you got anybody else, man? Go get them because we're getting out of here. We're about to blow it up and we got to get you out. And the Bible says Lot goes to his sons-in-laws, the guys that were engaged to his daughters. And, and, they, and so Lot went out and to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, get up, up, get out of this place, for the Lord's about to destroy it. But he seemed to his son-in-laws as if he were joking. When you live godly in Christ Jesus, you're going to get laughed at. People think you're crazy. Oh, come on, man. What's so bad? What's so wrong? You see, here's a mistake men make. God said, the soul that sins, it dies. And we know that we spiritually die. We're born spiritually dead. We need, we need a resurrection at birth. We need Christ to save us. I mean, so we come to that place where we, we realize that we, we, we start to follow Christ. But, but, but we're, we're spiritually dead until then. And, and when, we, when we get saved, I, I was going to say, the mistake people make is they do a sin. Hey, I didn't get hit by lightning. Well, it's not so bad. And they continue in sin. The Bible says in Romans that the mercy of God should lead you to repentance. The fact that he doesn't destroy you the first time you blow it is evidence that God has mercy. Because the Bible says the pure eyes even look on sin. First time you sin, he ought to go, bam, and you ought to be dead. But he doesn't. He gives you an opportunity to figure it out and repent. And that's where I, I want to encourage you today. Don't live in sin city, but rather follow God and let him rescue you out of it. And so angels try to get Lot and his family moving. He talks to their son-in-law and says, oh, you're crazy. Listen. The world doesn't understand us even when we're talking. Let me, let me give you a, a current example. I went to one of the school board meetings uh, that we just had recently. And there were a lot of people there. And there were people acting the fool. They were yelling and screaming. That always happens. You got a few like that always. But I heard Christian after Christian stand up in that meeting and look over because it's all about transgender students and them being safe in the school and they said, we love you. We love your children. We don't want them to be bullied. We don't want them to be hurt. We don't want them to be ostracized. That's not what this is about. This is about the safety of our children as well as yours. What I heard through the grapevine that people that don't think like I think said was, yeah, we were there and those Christians just got up and told us how much they hated us and they were yelling at us and all that. Now, that might have been some of the people acting the fool and they thought they were us and they're not if they were doing that. But that's what the world hears when we go, uh, y'all, <laughs> hello, this isn't a good thing to do. We don't care. Why? Because they don't know Christ. And our heart should break for those that don't get that their lives are being destroyed by our enemy. And we ought to want to give them Christ who loved us and saved us. And he will save them if they will turn to him. And we ought to, in compassion and love, want to share the love of Christ with them. 
say, well, they don't like it. They'll spit at me. They'll hit me. They'll make fun of me. So, they put Jesus on a cross for it. I think you can handle a little ridicule. But I just want to point out, these boys laughed at Lot. Sounded like a joke to them. And so as morning dawned, and again, it keeps getting weirder, the angels urged Lot, saying, up, take your wife, your two daughters, and get out of here unless you be swept up in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. He didn't want to leave. A wise man once told me, never kiss the sin goodbye. That means don't get so close to it, it can grab hold of you. All right? Throw a bomb at it and run. Get away. Be like Joseph in the Old Testament. Woman grabbed his coat, he just left it in her hands and bolted. Run. Lot doesn't want to leave. He's lingering. Well, I don't know. Should we take this? I don't know. What do you think? It's taking forever. I'm a slow person, so I kind of identify a little bit, but not for the same reason. They're yelling at him, get out of here. And the Lord being merciful to him, and so what happens in verse... uh, 16, but he lingered, so the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters. Four people, two angels. Each one grabbed one of them by the hand and dragged them out. And they just take them by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought them out and set them outside the city. Okay, now Lot's going to get it. And they brought him out and them out. One said, escape for your life. Don't look back. Don't stop anywhere in the valley. Run to the hills lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, oh no, my lords. I don't want to do that. It just gets weirder and weirder. Look, there's a little city of that. We can't run all the way up those mountains. Surely the destruction will overtake us. Can we just go over there? It's just a little place. It's not, it's not a big sinful place. It's just a little sinful place. Because the city they go to was, was marked for destruction. And here's what the angels say. I, I don't know if they're frustrated. I don't know if angels can get frustrated. But they say... Uh, Lot says all this in verse 19 and verse 20 this city is near enough to flee to and it's a little one let me escape there is it not just a little one and my life will be saved and he, and he said to, uh, to him behold I'll give you this favor also that I will not overthrow that city of which you've spoken escape there quickly I can do nothing until you get there and the name of the place is called Zoar which means little town Lot is fighting God the whole way and all God wanted to do was rescue him That is so much like me. That is so much like many of us. That we cling to our sin. We cling to our little pet sin. I call them a pet sin because we like to pet it and feed it and hide it. When company comes over, don't let the dog in the house because he's going to jump on the company. Right? We don't want anybody to see we're keeping, you know, a snake in an aquarium, right? We got a little pet dog that'll chew the ankles off of a visitor. We don't want anybody to see it. So we got a little pet sin. We take, oh, but he's sweet. I was a paper boy and a guy was training me on that paper. I was 13 years old. And his dog came running out. And my friend kept a broomstick and rubber bands on his handlebars. He whipped that thing out to hit the dog. And the guy said, he won't bite you. And then it did bite him. So um, we got that little pet thing that will turn against you and kill you. And we won't let go of it. We won't put it away. We won't put it down. Lot is doing the same thing. And here is an example. Verse 23. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar, and the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Number one, I want to point out something. I told you, he went there because it was a lush green place. 
The Bible tells us here that God burns it so that nothing is left, no vegetation or anything. Guess where that place is? It's, it's in a part of where the Red Sea now is. Dead Sea, thank you. The Dead Sea now is. It's a desolate place from then till now. Secondly, I want to just help you understand something about Lot's wife. And that's this. What did the angel say to Lot? We can't destroy it till you're in that city. When I was a kid, and maybe you thought this too, as they're booking, trying to get out of there, that Lot's wife hears this whoom behind her. She glances over her shoulder, and boop, she becomes a pillar of salt. Because she heard, I mean, think about it. God's raining fire and brimstone, fire and sulfur down on the city. It's going to make some noise. It's going to make some smell. And she's there trucking, and she hears it and glances back, and God gets her. Because God's just like that. No, this is a translation of the Hebrew that doesn't tell us what the Hebrew says fully. She did look back. They're supposed to be in Zoar. She has turned around and done this, looking back wanting to go back to Sodom. It's not an idea that she glanced over her shoulder. It is she looked longingly. Because they're supposed to get, if she'd have been inside that city, nothing. She's outside and moving back towards Sodom. And I often wonder if it's still there. There's a rock structure down there they call Lot's wife. I don't know if it is. It'd be kind of weird if it was, but it could be. But I want you to catch how this story kind of ends here. And Abraham, verse 27, went out early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord, and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley, and he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. Abraham knew his nephew was there. We don't know if Abraham knew at this point Lot is safe or not. He's looking at Sodom and Gomorrah like we're looking at Afghanistan. God, are you getting your people out? Is, are they safe? Are they dead? He is concerned. He's, he's in pain for it. He's looking at I think he kept praying for it because he goes and checks on it. And it is going up in smoke. The Bible doesn't tell us anything about what Abraham thought or did at that point. But look at the concern he has. Even as they are being destroyed, he wants to see and wants to help, but he can't. And then verse 29 concludes with saying, So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out in the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities which Lot had lived. Who are you praying for that they will escape the wrath of God? And do you care enough that when, they are, when that place, when their life is being destroyed, that you are still looking toward them to see, is there anything I can do? Is there anything further I can do to bring them out to get them safe? For God. Now the Bible spares Lot. The New Testament says Lot being a righteous man. God saves him out. He's going to lose his daughters. We won't see that till later. But still a lot of bad stuff going to happen around Lot. And I don't, I don't know Lot's heart. I'm just guessing from the circumstances. But it seems like Lot couldn't get over wanting things he wanted instead of trusting God. Abraham trusted God and he made him a a man who had many nations come from him. God blessed him. What about this week? Well, these aren't necessarily things to do so much as things I want you to see. First of all, God has sent messengers to us. It's called the Word of God. What Lot did not have, what Abraham did not have, they did not have one, as far as we know, one word of the Word of God. There, there, some of it was there, but we don't know if they even had it. God was speaking to them. 
But if they didn't have much of this and God held them accountable, how much more are we accountable when he's given it all to us? Not only that, we have a Savior. They, didn't, they weren't aware that they had, maybe. We, we, we see it there, but they did. But we have the written word and we have the living word. And those two are never in contradiction. The written word tells us about the living word. And Hebrews 1, 1 through 4 says that God spoke a lot of ways and a lot of times in the past. But now he's spoken to us by his son, Jesus Christ. And it is in Christ that we find our salvation. We find our hope. We find our healing. And so I, I, I just want to make you aware of that. You ought to do something with it. I shouldn't have to tell you. You ought to read it. You ought to know it. You ought to live it. But believe me when I say God has given us, and, and this is our authority. What this says is what we must do, whether we agree or not. Because guess what? You're not always going to agree with God. But guess who's wrong if you don't? <laughs> it ain't you. It ain't him that's wrong. It's you. And then secondly, God protects us even in the presence of our enemies. Here's Lot living in an enemy territory. Now, it's own, his own foolishness, his own stupidity, and yet God it still rescues him out. Now, I'm not saying that's the excuse. Well, I'm just going to do what I want because God will take care of me in the end. No. The Bible says, Paul said, no. God saved you. Why would you want to keep living like that? You want to come out and live like Christ because his, his goal is to turn us into the image of Christ. And so why would you go back into that sin that destroys your life? You don't want to do that. But God will protect you if you find yourself in the presence of, the, of your enemy who is the devil, not the people, but the devil, that you can sit there and pray in the name of Jesus, and he'll protect you. <laughs> Sorry, I, I just, I, I remember being approached when I was a younger, much younger man. Two guys were just, they're right there in my face, and they said something to me. And uh, it, they, they weren't threatening my life, but they were asking me, uh, did I, did I uh, want or have uh, some drugs on me? And uh, I said, no, man, I'm high on Jesus. And they said, what? And I pulled out my Bible. I said, I'm high on Jesus. You ever heard about Jesus? And they went, nope. And pew, they, the two on the sides ran. The guy in the middle, he couldn't go anywhere because he's leaning against the car and I'm right in his face. I said, well, man, Jesus loves you. He wants you to know him. And he's like, I know, I know, I know. He got scared. Thirdly, God wants you to flee sin. He does not want you to hang out with sin. Get away from it. Run from it. Don't allow it in your life. If you gotta, if you got to get a dumb phone, if you got to throw away your computers, if you got to lose your cable subscription, it's worth it. It's worth it. If you got to change your friends, it's worth it. I'll tell you this, accept Christ and your friends will change because they won't want to hang out with you anymore. You start living for God, they're going to want to get away anyway. I just pray that you will know Christ and you will live for him. Lord, in Jesus' name, this isn't a fun, fun passage. This isn't something that makes us feel good to read it. It is painful, and especially when we start thinking about how it applies to us today, that, that we live in the midst of a, of a sinful place, but we also are sinful. We've allowed it into our lives. We, we joke with it. We play with it. We treat it like a little pet sometimes, not knowing that pet's going to grow up and turn on us and kill us and destroy us. So, Lord, I, I pray that if we're believers, that we would, we would want to live a holy life before you and we would want to get rid of anything that separates us from, from the knowledge of your love and your presence in our life. And, Lord, 
there might be people in this building or maybe listening to a recording at some point, and God, you are, you're speaking to them, even though it's not in the same time and place. Lord, you, you do those kind of miracles. I just ask, Lord, that if there's somebody that needs to know you, you bring conviction in their heart and life, that they would repent and turn to you and be saved. Lord, we need you. We don't have the power. We don't have the ability to save ourselves. We need you to save us. And we ask that you would do that in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and our lives. Listen, if you're sitting here, if you're watching this, now is a good time to do that. I don't need to give you special words. You know what you need. You need to cry out and ask Jesus to rescue you, to save you, to change your life. But what you need to do after you do that is let another believer know, let a church know, let a pastor know, let one of us know. And if you're in this building, I'm going to hang out in the, in the atrium back there afterwards. Please come up and talk to me about it. Please let me know that God's moved in your heart and you've received him into your life. Lord, we pray that you would bear fruit from your word in Jesus' name. Amen.